Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. We're going to do a little study around Tazria Mitzora, and I gave you a little hint into this earlier. But one of the pieces of Tazria Mitzorah that's always been quite interesting to me is the fact that a priest is used as the doctor. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the fact that I can watch doctor shows on TV and I can call my aunts and uncles who are doctors and ask them to explain things to me that I will never understand. But if any of you came to me and said, you know, I have this thing on my arm and I'm wondering what it is, just because I've watched medical television that is fake or listened to stories from my aunts and uncles who are doctors does not mean that I'm a doctor. And I know that. (laughs) But for some reason, our Torah is allowing a priest to go about and make all of these decisions around a disease that I don't think he learned in priest school. I definitely, oh, priest school. That's very fun. I've never heard that before. That is very funny. Um, I, <laughs> I have never heard of, you know, a, a priest learning how to be a doctor. I definitely did not learn how to be a doctor in rabbinical school. And it's always interesting to me when people of, high leadership take on roles that are, that they don't actually have any skill in. They take on roles because the people who are in their, let's just call it parish or community or government, believe that they have authority because they're the head of the totem pole, but they might not actually have skills in the area for the question that they're being asked. And now the Torah, I don't think, makes mistakes. So if the Torah decided, if God decided, if rabbis decided that the priest was going to be the one to make these decisions about a medical issue, then I have to imagine that they did have skill in that area, or at least they had some amount of knowledge that could help them bring answers, comfort, what have you, support to the people who are asking them the questions about this sara'at, this disease that in modern day we call leprosy. So we're going to look at a few different commentaries on this idea of the priest becoming doctor. And what I want to say to those of you who are doctors is I don't think, I don't think this takes away from the fact that doctors is, existed during that time. I think that it is intentional that the priest was the person who had to look over this sara'at or be the one to bring them back into the community. I don't believe that the Torah was just deciding that the priest was more powerful than the doctor or that doctors weren't good enough. I do believe that there were two different roles. And for some reason, which makes it even maybe more interesting, for some reason, the priest was chosen, not the doctor. So we're going to read a little bit. I know that for some reason the Google Doc had some issues for some of you. So I'm hoping that um, that 
that was fixed once we re- recognize the issue and that you're able to read along. If you don't have the source sheet in front of you, it's fine. I can, I, I will be reading out the commentaries that I go through and we're going to be reading from the Torah in Leviticus chapter 13 verses two through eight. So if you have a chumash or a, um, any kind of Bible in front of you, we're in Leviticus chapter 13 verses two through eight. Okay. First, we're going to read through the verses, then I'm going to pause if anybody has any questions or comments, and then we'll go into the commentaries. So Leviticus chapter 13, verse 2. When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling, a rash, or a discoloration, and it develops into a scaly affection on the skin of his body, it shall be reported to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests. First of all, that's redundant. Just, just pointing that out, right? There's no reason to say that if Aaron had sons, they were also priests, but, uh, and we'll see that a little bit later in some of the commentaries, but it's very clear that you go to a priest, you go to the Kohen. Verse three, the priest shall examine the affection on the skin of his body. If hair in the affected patch has turned white and the affection appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous affection. Just remember that leprosy is something that we ascribed to this. We don't know that it was actually leprosy. So Sarat is, uh, we'll just say it was at Sarat affection. When the priest sees it, he shall pronounce him unclean. So not only does he know what this thing is, but he has all of the power to say, you're unclean because you have this. So that would be like someone coming into uh, a patient's room, some, a priest or a or rabbi, an imam coming into a patient's room and saying, oh, you have this thing. So let me tell you all of, all of the, the things that you can't do. Right? Well, someone of a spiritual standing doesn't necessarily know all the things that a person can't do based on a, on a single diagnosis. What the priest is is. Uh, speaking to here is unclean, t- t- it says tima here, but tame to be uh, impure, meaning, to go back to the drash that I gave in Library Minion years ago, that they are not prepared to give sacrifice. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them, doesn't mean that they're gross, doesn't mean that they are bad people, just means they are not prepared to give a sacrifice in the temple. Now, why is that interesting to a priest? Because the priest oversees the temple. So to be able to come into the patient's room and say, you are tameh, you are unclean, what the priest is saying is you can't come to to my factory, as it were, and and participate in the goings-on there. Okay. But if it is a white discoloration on the skin of his body, which does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall isolate the affected person for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest shall examine him, and if the affection has remained unchanged in color and the disease has not spread on the skin, the priest shall isolate him for another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest shall examine him again. If the affection has faded and has not spread on the skin, the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is a rash. He shall wash his clothes and he shall be clean. But if the rash should spread on the skin after he has presented himself to the priest and been pronounced clean, tahor is the word that we're using here, he shall present himself again to the priest. So if now he's ready to make sacrifices, then he has to present himself again to the priest because he's no longer tameh. Now he is Tahor. And if the priest sees that the rash has spread on the skin, the priest shall pronounce him Tameh, unfit for, for sacrifice. It is Sara'at. So I don't know about all of you, and in a second, 
I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I'll call on you uh, to see if you have thoughts on this. I don't know about you, but this sounds like one of those commercials, you know, that you see for uh, medication on TV. And they say, well, if you have this and if you have this and if you have this and if you have this, like the Torah, the Torah is telling us here what to look for. But we assume that this was not what Aaron knew this, right? It wasn't something that was being read. He wasn't hearing the commercial. He knew all of this, right? The doctors who are putting together that medication of the commercials that we hear know the information. That's why they can say it. So we are learning the information as the reader, and it gives us some amount of knowledge, right? If someone was standing in front of me and I could say, okay, so it's a white discoloration. I don't think it's deeper. Let me find Leviticus chapter 13, verse four and tell you what to do. I could figure out what the rules are, but Aaron is acting as a medical professional. He's acting as someone who knows, well, if it's skin deep, then you do this. If it's not skin deep, then you don't do that. If it looks like only a rash, you do this. And again, as a priest and in modern day, as a rabbi, we don't have those skills. We don't, we don't know how to do those things. I mean, I know what a rash looks like, but not because I'm a doctor, because I, you know, I know what a rash looks like. So how come all of a sudden the people have to go to the priest and ask what to do? Okay, I'm going to stop talking before we get to the commentators who are going to give us some of these answers and see if anybody has any thoughts, comments, counter sermons, criticisms, anything. No, nothing. Larry doesn't even have something. He's shaking his head. Oh, man. Okay, well, all right, we'll keep going. If you think, oh, Paula, I knew there had to be somebody. Hi, Shabbat Hi. Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Um, I was thinking that later on in, in chapter 14, they go through the ritual and the person is outside of the community and then they move inside of the community yeah. after the ritual and yeah. the ritual in a couple of the commentary says it's reminiscent of what the priests, um, the rituals the priests went through to become priests. So when they graduated from preschool, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> and those rituals then brought them back into holiness, brought them to holiness. So I was thinking about, um, you know, especially in our, you know, COVID times about bringing people back in and, and the process of what we need to do to bring back in and how it's not just a psychological or a physical, but it's a spiritual practice too. So that's why I think, well, maybe, maybe not for my tzara'at, but for my soul, I might want to consult Beautiful, beautiful. So that's actually going to come up um, at the end of this teaching that there was something about the need for people to go to someone who wasn't just telling them how they could infect another person or how they were infected themselves, but rather what it was doing to them as a part of a community, as a part of a spiritual practice, what was it doing to them? And that's where those words Taman Tahor are actually most interesting because it doesn't say you're Tame, so now go away and never come back. It just says you're Tame, and so you can't come close right now. And Paula, it's interesting that you bring up 
COVID because I hadn't yet thought about this, but the people who are bringing people back, right? The people who are saying, okay, now we have daily minion for 15 or now the hospitals can see people for voluntary, um, not voluntary. What's the word? Unnecessary surgery. Can't think of the word. Um, that, those are people for whom, in the case of the hospital, it, it might be with doctors, right? It might be that the CEOs and the CFOs are consulting with the doctors. But in a synagogue, we have a medical task force, but ultimately it also comes down to, are we the rabbis ready? Stuart Tochner, who is, is probably watching, uh, who's the president of our community, Often when we are in these reopening meetings, we'll say, but how do the rabbis feel? Are the rabbis comfortable with that decision? And what you're pointing out, Paula, is that it's not just about, is it safe? But it's also about, are we spiritually ready? Are we spiritually ready to bring people back in? Are we spiritually ready to hold them in that way? And are they spiritually ready to be back with us? So I, that's fascinating. I hadn't I hadn't thought about the reopening piece. Yes, Stan. Can Stan unmute? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, it seems always been clear to me that the ancient people had no knowledge of infectious diseases. Yeah. And they pretty much thought that if you were sick, it was because of something you had done. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the role of the priest was not necessarily that of a medical doctor, but as somebody that could convince that person that he was now emotionally, spiritually okay hmm. or cured in that manner. Mm -hmm. So it, they're not so much treating an affliction, but as a, a, a total picture, emotional as well as physical. Beautiful. Keep that thought because that's going to be kind of the, the closing piece here. And I think, I think you're right. I think that, that they knew nothing of infectious disease and the little that they knew, as you're pointing out, it wasn't just what happens to me medically, but what happens to all of me? How does this affect all of me? And that took the leader of the community, not a doctor, to to help them to help them try and figure out Joanna um so on the a little more on the how is this affecting all of me part of the question um as we've been talking now um I've been thinking about the way um mikvah ritual has been redefined and particularly there's a mikvah in Boston living waters that has done yeah. like some incredible work in that regard yeah. and people finding that they need ritual to get through different moments in life different significant moments that that, um, you know, previously hadn't been ascribed ritual to. And I wonder if there is wisdom in the Torah here that, um, you know, in our immersion in sort of like the, the, the oozing and the grossness of it and whatever, we haven't paid so much attention to the fact that sometimes what appears to be just a, a physical thing has a spiritual component that needs a spiritual ritual of transition and transformation to pass through it. 
Beautiful. And, you know, at the beginning of this Parsha, we hear all about the ritual of Nida, the ritual of a woman after her period going to a mikvah. We don't hear the halachot in the Torah, but that's where it comes from, of needing to count a certain number of days before she is tahor. And again, the way that that unfortunately uh, we have thought of that practice is one that you're describing as, right, the, the oozing, the gross that part of what's happening to your body before you can go to mikvah and then being able to come clean with that immersion. Now, when you talk to women who are practicing Hilchot Nida or teaching Hilchot Nida, they very often will say exactly what you just said, which is that you need some kind of ritual container, some kind of spiritual container to feel as though that that halakha that you are taking on to have separation from your spouse for a part of the month is contained, without being redundant, is contained in something that is spiritual, not just about your body, but also about rebirthing into something new and re refinding yourself and all of those and all of those ways that the mikvah, as you're saying, especially at um at Living Waters in Boston, Mayim Chaim has really has really taken on as a spiritual practice. So it's interesting that at the beginning of this parsha, we are talking about something that has taken on mikvah ritual. Here in this part of the parsha that we're looking at, we're not talking about something that's uh, resolved, so to speak, by mikvah, but a, a very interesting way of of thinking about that tamei and that tahor. Larry, yeah, I, I really didn't want to speak because I'm going to be speaking this afternoon. But you said something just now, uh, and Dr. Rogoff in the um, um, uh, the Devar Torah that's linked on the Shabbat Bolton talked about it as well. But you yeah. said something about it takes not only the doctors, but the priests who are basically dealing with social issues. And the link to today, that it takes not only the epidemiologists and the medical professionals to be able to convince people what to do, including how to reintegrate back into society. So many of us people are very concerned about what they can do now that they're vaccinated, now that numbers are down. It's more than the doctors that will take, that, that will convince us as a society that we can all re-engage, that we can re-engage with those who are infected, that those of us who are infected or maybe were never infected can re-engage. And I had never thought about that until you made that connection. Well, thank you. Thank you for speaking up. And yes, Larry will be leading Mincha Mariv tonight and teaching. So you should all join him to, to hear what I'm sure will be an incredible teaching. So we're going to look at a few, uh, at a few commentaries here <clears throat> in true Rebecca Schatz form. I gave you many more than we're going to actually get to, but I do think it's an interesting topic and I hope that you read some of, some of them, uh, that we won't get to today. So his has a very, <clears throat> I'll just read it without giving you a caveat. Okay. Hakohanim. Why the priests? The question that I asked at the beginning. Hakohanim. Excluding priests who have defiled themselves by committing certain sins deliberately so that they have lost their status permanently. So Chizkuni saying it says Hakohanim, but it doesn't mean all Kohanim. It just means the good Kohanim. So just stay with us for a second. That's not going to be his main answer. How do we know that all of the Israelites are included? From the words, uh, for the, from the words or one of, oh, 
El Echad, which includes anyone who is a member of the Jewish people. If so, what is the point of the Torah having written from among his sons, the priests? Remember I said when we read the verse, it's a little bit redundant. Like Aaron's a priest. We know his sons are also priests. It is to teach you that only the priests can give a ruling concerning ritual purity and ritual impurity. Not even the Supreme Court can do so. Uh, I'm just trying to see how he translates. Okay. I Anyway, I'm interested to know how he translated Supreme Court. It doesn't say here. It says Chacham Shebe Israel. I don't think that that's um, that that is Supreme Court. But basically, it doesn't. It, any anyone who is higher up than the priests in terms of laws uh, cannot even do this this kind of ruling. Are then all priests experts by birth? The system works as follows. When the problem of Sarat arises, someone who has studied the subject is consulted. So the priest goes to, let, let's call them a doctor. The priest accepts the superior knowledge of this expert and makes his ruling based on what he has been told by the expert who has examined the afflicted person. It is irrelevant whether the priest is truly familiar or not with the symptoms the Torah has taught us. It's it's quite interesting and a little bit disconcerting that that it's irrelevant whether the priest knows all this information because if the priest is making all these rulings, I for one would have wanted to make sure that it's actually extremely relevant whether or not the priest knows the ins and the outs of the symptoms of Surat. But the point that is being made that is probably even more important is that the priest was not doing this alone. So back to the point that, that Larry just echoed that I made earlier, there's no part of the priest's um, ruling that comes only from the priest. It comes from him learning from an expert. It comes from him knowing knowledge from previous experiences that Again, let's just call it a doctor, though who knows um, if that's how they were referred to in the times of the Torah, that a doctor would have then uh, shared with the priest. The priest's ruling, just to go back to this very interesting sentence for a second, the priest's ruling is based only on the superior knowledge of the expert. So though not mentioned in the Torah's verses, it is. it does seem that the priest is the mouthpiece for the expert. When you all, when Temple Betham gets an email from the clergy, or let's just say from Rabbi Klickfeld, it could be one person, about how we are reopening and the steps we're taking, Rabbi Klickfeld is a mouthpiece. He agrees with the decisions being made because he was part of them, but the medical team helped him make those decisions. So though we don't list everybody's name who's part of that team, similar to what the Torah is telling us here, Aaron is making these decisions based on knowledge that he's attained from these experts. And then he's the one who actually gives them. He's the one who actually meets with the people. Does everyone understand that? Everyone with me so far? Yeah. Okay. Any thoughts on that or comments that anyone wants to share? Did people assume that that was the case? Yeah. I'm getting some nods. Okay. Um, the Clea car, I don't know how many of you have, 
either learned the Kliakar or heard the Kliakar referenced uh, in commentaries on the Torah. The Kliakar very often has almost midrashic ways of commenting on the Torah in in a very... Mm, Flowery takes away the the substance, but in a in a very beautiful and a very poetic almost way of understanding pieces of Torah, and this is no exception. The Kliakar says. The person will be brought to Aaron the Kohen. His purification is only by means of a Kohen because Aaron's descendants have three good character traits that are the opposite of these. One, the sin of Lashon Hara, right? Those of you who have heard the drash that Sara'at was inflicted because Lashon Hara. So if you spoke badly, you got Sara'at. Um, there's a whole midrash on why. I'm not going to get into it right this second. The sin of Lashon Hara causes arguments and a separation between fellow men. Therefore, he is healed by Aharon, who exemplifies the trait of peace. For Aharon was Ohev Shalom Verodef Shalom, a lover of peace who pursued peace. Number two, the sin of haughtiness of spirit is rectified by Aharon, who was extremely humble. As Chazal, as our sages said, what is written concerning Moshe and Aharon is even greater than that which is written concerning Avraham, because by Avraham it says, I am dust and ashes, whereas by Moshe and Aaron it says, what are we? So just to explain that one out a little bit, for Adam, Adam claims what he is. Whereas Moshe and Aaron, the Kliakar is saying, were so humble that they didn't even know how to compare themselves to something else that might make them seem great, might make them seem better than they potentially knew themselves to be. So Adam says, I am dust and ashes. And Aaron says, what are we? Also, Aharon did not have the negative character trait of lust for money. Since the Kohanim did not have an inheritance in the land and only had what they were given from Hashem's table, the, the way in which they would receive money from the, from the Beit Hamikdash. Therefore, they perfected the trait of being satisfied with little and were not at all close to the trait of miserliness in which one's entire goal is to amass huge sums of money. So, Though not all three of these, if you were to read them on their own, would you think, oh, it's Sarat. <laughs> but what the Kliya Kar is doing is saying, Aharon was not only the person who was allowed to do this because he was a priest and because he was someone who had this knowledge, but because he embodied these three traits that were necessary for a person who was being given, let's call it a diagnosis, needed those elements of character to be part of how that person was held, which is such a beautiful spiritual way of thinking about what the priest actually did in that moment. It wasn't just saying, you have a thing, you have to stay home. You have a rash, you have to wash your clothes. There was pastoral counseling around what was happening and why was Aaron allowed to do that? Because he embodied these three traits. And I love that. I, I love thinking that people don't just come into being able to support someone because they learned how to be pastors or they learned how to be chaplains, but there's some element of needing your personality to also be one that connects with the person who you're pastoring, who you're working with. I'll just give a very... Uh, 
quick example. My, my aunt is a doctor at UCLA. <clears throat> she works in internal medicine and she came to the bedside of someone who she, she was a doctor, but not their doctor at the hospital. And the person then relayed back to our family that she was the most important doctor on this person's team. Why was she the most important doctor? She didn't do anything. She didn't, she didn't even uh, prescribe, not subscribe. She didn't even prescribe Benadryl, right? She didn't, she didn't do anything for this person's overall medical wellness, but her bedside manner was something that that person needed. And the person never forgot that. They never forgot that, sure, she had the knowledge. Sure, she had the insight to be able to help. But overall, it was the fact that she could hold this, this patient, that she could be there for this patient and take care of her. And that's what the Clea car is saying that Aharon did. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we're going to read one more commentary. <clears throat> and this actually, this actually comes from... Actually, two more. Sorry. We're going to read two more. Um, <clears throat> we're going to read like a, a half of two. So I guess together, that's one. At the end of the Sifte Chachamim on your, on your sheet here, I'm going to just read the last, the last little bit. <clears throat> so this is on, again, of his sons, the Kohanim, to teach that although the Kohen does not know the signs of impurity and needs to show them to a Torah scholar who may not be a Kohen, nevertheless, the Torah scholar is not allowed to say, this is a sign of impurity or this is a sign of purity. Rather, he must, he must teach the Kohen the laws of impurity and purity so that the Kohen will tell the person who has the skin eruption, you are pure or impure. So not only... Are there other people who have this knowledge? But what the Sifte Chachamim is saying is that it's important for the Kohen to have the knowledge because if the Kohen is going to say something that impacts their life, it needs to be true, right? For, we were talking about this in the Parsha class yesterday. It's important that if a rabbi is asked a question and they don't know the answer, that they say, I don't know, as opposed to giving an answer. Same with a doctor, obviously. Same with a lawyer. Same with any profession. It's important that if you don't know something, if the words that you're about to say are going to make a difference, that you actually know what the answer is, or you say, I don't know. Because what you say could impact the person's life. And the Kohen, in this particular example, if the Kohen doesn't know, the Kohen's going to say, you're Tahor and able to come and sacrifice in your time and you can't come and sacrifice, what if they're the opposite? What if they shouldn't be sacrificing and the other person should be sacrificing? Okay. So now, this, the last little piece here at the end. This is actually from the Eitz Chaim. So if you're in the Eitz Chaim Chumash, I don't know exactly where it is um, or what page it's on because I don't have it open, but, but it's in there somewhere, <laughs> if that's helpful. In biblical Israel, the Kohen was both the religious and the medical authority. The biblical mind saw the connection between the physical and the spiritual dimensions of illness and recovery, perhaps more clearly than we see it today. So that goes back to Stan's comment as well, that it's possible that these people existed, but the fact that, that the person, the Kohen in this case, who is giving the advice is both the physical and the spiritual of the person knows how to then regard them in their moment of sara'at, 
whether or not they should be coming close or whether they should be staying away. And that's both spiritual and physical. When someone is in grief during COVID, it is very hard to not give them a hug because we know to stay away, but we also know that that hug would spiritually give them support. So what do you do? Do you give them a hug or do you not give them a hug? And that's where this physical and spiritual piece comes together and where the priest and in modern day, the rabbi can decide what's the right move to make. Do I keep my distance because I believe that's safest or do I give them a hug because I know that that's what's going to spiritually fulfill them? When the priest sees it, Rabbi Meir Simcha of Dvinsk says, the word vera'ahu in verse 3 means that the Kohen is to appreciate the wholeness of the person in front of him, seeing more than just the diseased part of the body. He is to see what is whole and healthy about the person, not only what is afflicted. Before seeing what is impure, the Kohen must acknowledge what is holy in the individual before him. I would say that this isn't just about a person. It's also about a community. It's about a situation. It's about being able to know what is holy, what is needed in that moment, and not just what is it that we need to be doing because we think it is safest. That's important. That's why you're not all in this room. Because we know for your spiritual wellness, you would be in this room. But we know to keep a distance because that's what's most healthy. But the fact that you're on this screen is because we also know about your spiritual wellness. Because you are in this room. You're just not physically in this room. So this piece here has convinced me, this Shabbat, that it makes all kinds of sense. That it was the priest who these people went to when they had this unknown... This unknown disease, this unknown thing that was keeping them separated from that which they knew in their community. Because the priest was the only one who could understand how to hold these people as holy beings, no matter what their skin looked like, no matter what their house looked like, no matter how many clothes they had to throw away, knew that they were holy beings and to hold them and to make sure that they felt supported in every step of the way of this sara'at. So what I hope you take from this, <clears throat> this Shabbat, is that we are still in this era of being your spiritual leaders and needing those medical professionals to help us understand how to come back together. But what I hope you know is that any time that we are making a decision Anytime that we are thinking about what to do in this physical space or around a funeral or around a shiva or around a baby naming, that yes, we are doing it with our medical task force behind us and with health in mind. And the reason that your rabbis are involved in that decision is because we also want to make sure that your spiritual souls are also in mind. So I hope that you are able to hold on to this. I hope that you're able to continue joining us in all the ways that we are step-by-step coming back together. And I hope that you are able to be for other people, the priest in their lives.
to be able to see them for the holiness that they are, to be able to keep your distance when that's the safest move, and to also know, as Larry reminded us, that when it is safe to be close, that we take those steps, because that will be important for the reemergence and for the re, the, the rebirth, really, of each of our souls, being able to come back together and make sure that our souls have been held and have been whole throughout this entire experience. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.